We've spoken of a few of the gifts, and we've looked at the word of wisdom, word of knowledge. We've also looked at the gift of faith, and last week, Pastor Marissa talked about the gifts of healing, but we believe that God wants his body of believers to be alive, to be using the gifts that are meant for you and I. Now, the nine gifts are listed here in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, so let's read them again. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will. So there's nine gifts of the Spirit listed there, and the Lord wants each of these gifts operating in his body of believers. Now, it says that he will distribute them as he wills. When you're a believer and you ask God to fill you, he brings with that filling gifts. And there'll be specific gifts that you use often. But the gifts work together, and it's one of the big reasons why we need each other. It's one of the big reasons why we need church. We need to work together to see God's plan and purposes fulfilled. Now today, specifically, we're going to look at the gift of miracles or working of miracles. And what does that mean, and how does that look for a believer? Now, miracles... Here's a definition from the dictionary. It says a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. So miracle proves that there is a God. Now, we understand that in Scripture, miracle was a term that actually encompassed a lot of things, even including healing. But we looked at the gifts of healing last week, so today we're going to look at some miracles from Scripture that aren't healings. But definitely, a healing is a type of miracle for sure. And uh, I believe that God wants to provide miracles because it glorifies Him. It shows who He is and what He can do. Now, there were many miracles in Scripture. They happened all throughout the Bible, and they continue to happen today all around the world. Pastor Bruce was mentioning to me that he's reading a book right now and they had a statistic from 2021 that says there are more than 200 million documented miracles of healing all around the world. Did you hear me? 200 million documented. That means doctor signed off on it. This is a miracle. Okay? How many of us have, you know, we've received a miracle or God has done something, we didn't write it down and get someone to sign it. Those are documented, proven miracles. Miracles happen. And miracles happen to prove that God is there and that he loves his people and that he's reaching out to us. And he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. Now, if you know the story of Moses and Aaron, There were many miracles that happened at that time. Moses was called to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. 
God called him miraculously. There was a bush burning, but it didn't burn up. And God said, I need you to go talk to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And God would use miracles all through this story to prove that he was God. In Exodus 7, verse 8, we read this. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand, show me a miracle. When he does this, say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down in front of Pharaoh, and it will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did what the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. Okay, so you need to understand that at that time, the Pharaoh of Egypt was basically considered like a god himself, and people would worship him. And he was surrounded by people who operated in supernatural, but if someone were going to come and talk to him in that way that Moses and Aaron were coming, they had to be able to show a miracle. In other words, he wouldn't even listen to them or heard them at all. And as the story continues, we realize Pharaoh knew that there was divinity and there was supernatural happening with them, but it was almost like he wanted to prove that he was number one. He was more powerful. And of course, we know that didn't work so well. There were a number of miracles which were actually called plagues because God was showing his power upon the Egyptians. They would happen that Israel could be free, but they were also a bit of judgment upon Egypt. Well, God's people finally were released to go, and they headed out into the wilderness. Moses and Aaron leading them, probably around two million people. That is a slow-moving convoy of people. Animals, stuff, wagons, carts, whatever they traveled with. And off they went, slowly meandering through the desert area. And they came to the sea. The Red Sea is in front of them. They're camped out and they look behind them and wouldn't you know it, here comes the Egyptians. Their army is now coming after and they're like, oh no, we don't have weapons, we're just out here, they're going to come, they're either going to kill us or they're going to take us as slaves. And they begin to become angry and complain and say things like, oh, we should have been back there, we should have stayed there. Never a good idea. And isn't it interesting how when it got difficult, suddenly their past was where they wanted to go. And their past looked so good. I find this happens sometimes to people, but it is a false memory of what their past really was. When times get difficult, God's going to ask you to continue forward in the direction you started. But oh, there'll be that memory that's kind of missing out a whole bunch of things. Why would they ever want to go back to where they were whipped and beaten and made to work endless hours without enough? A place where the Pharaoh had actually told them to kill every baby boy that's born, and yet here they are saying we should go back. Their memory was a little bit mixed up of what the past was. Can I encourage you, church, don't try to go back to the past. Your past is where you've been. It's not where you're going. The Lord has something great for you ahead if you'll step into it. But it may not be easy and it may look scary. And guess what? You may need a miracle 
to go forward. But I got some great news. He'll provide it. And just in this situation, he provided for them once again. As Moses is calling out to God, God says, Well, don't just sit here and call out to me. Get up, stand up, and go hold your rod over the Red Sea and part it. And of course, God's supernatural power was going to work through him to part it. And it says that Moses held that rod over the sea, and it said a wind came and blew all that night. And the walls of water formed on either side, and they walked through on dry ground. I don't know if you're like me, but when I read stories, certain things come to my mind, and I was thinking, how long did Moses have to stand there holding that rod? Did he stand there all night? That would have been tough. Did he stand there all night with people, you know, still complaining? But here he was, he held it, he believed. God did a miracle, and those waters parted. Now, the interesting thing is God was ready and willing to do a miracle. They would never forget how amazing and powerful he is, right? Well, unfortunately, later on in the story, they're once again remembering the onions and the garlics and forgetting all the rest. Church, God's got good things. They're ahead of us. They're not behind us. They're ahead of us. Oh, he has some amazing things he did last year, and we can rejoice in them, and we can be thankful there was great things he did in your life the year before and maybe five years ago you have an awesome memory of how it was, but we can never recreate the past. We can only step forward in what God is asking us to do today and tomorrow. And it's going to be good. Is it going to always be easy? No. Is it going to cost nothing of you? No. Are your arms going to get sore in worship? Yes. I remember one time in a prayer time, and they said, you know, just lift your hands up, we're going to pray. It's like, oh, that guy prayed for a long time. I was sore. Anyhow, God has good things. If we're willing to press in, we're going to see miracles, I believe, many miracles. I believe we just saw one this morning, and I believe we're going to hear good report. I believe it's going to be documented. Because they're already saying this and this. Now they're going to have to say, hey, where did it go? In Jesus' name, we believe that. All right. As we read the stories of how God did amazing things, it builds our faith and we realize how awesome he is. But one thing I've seen is that he always gets people involved in the miracles he wants to do. He always asks of us some step of faith. Okay, you're wondering why when we pray for people, I say, okay, try it, do something. He always requires us to take a step in the direction that he wants to move. Here's a story about a miracle in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. And it says, one day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. i got to stop there for a minute. Whenever God is about to do something great in your life, he is going to ask you what you have because he's going to use what you already have. 
Many times people are like, oh, I don't think I would ever see a miracle because I don't have anything. I, I can't sing, you know, I don't preach, or I can't do this. I have nothing. Her first answer was, I have nothing. But she rethought that and said, oh, wait, I have just one flask of olive oil. I don't know who you are, but if you think you don't have anything, you have something God can use and he can do a miracle through it. Miracles are waiting to happen. Don't you dare discount yourself because you think you have nothing. You have something. If you're still walking and breathing, you have something. And so finally she realized, oh, I do have this flask of oil. And Elisha said in verse 3, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on what is left over. This is an amazing miracle. They went from nothing to the sons were about to become slaves. They went from nothing to all their debts paid off and enough to live on. Retired with more than enough. That's what God can do with what you think is nothing. Give it to him and do what he says. Now, I love the heart that came because at first it does seem like maybe she's thinking, oh, I, got, I can't do, I got nothing. But when she hears the word of God, she does it. When he said, go borrow some flask of oil, she didn't yet know what was going to happen, did she? But she went and borrowed and he said, get a bunch. She didn't fool around. She didn't just go to her neighbor Susan and just grab one flask of oil. Like, oh, whatever. Oh, my life is horrible, and this is bad, but I'll go get some flask. Okay, I got one, I got two. That's some. Okay, God. No. Church, when you serve God, do it with all your might. What he has asked you to do, do it with determination and passion. Never do anything halfway. Do it with everything you've got, and obviously she did. Because there must have been a ton of flasks of oil to pay off all that debt and then live off the rest. When he asked you to do it, do it. When he asked you to step out, do it well. What has God given you? Press in. Get ready. He wants to do a miracle. Jesus also performed many miracles. And I'm going to look at a couple of those. Now, once again, Jesus did many, many healings. But because we talked specifically about healing last week, we're going to talk about some miracles he did. Look at Luke chapter 5 in verse 4 to 7. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Jesus had been preaching on their boat, and now he tells them to pull out. Master Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. 
God did a miracle of provision because they did what he said. Now, they were professional fishermen, and they fished all the time to make a living, and they had just been out there all night and didn't catch anything. I'm guessing that was unusual for them, but they caught nothing. And now, Jesus says, go do that again. You see, when God directs you and you step out, get ready for good things, because good things are coming. And their nets were so full that they almost broke. They had to get people to help them with the abundance that was pouring in. What is he asking you to do? He wants to pour in abundance for you. Every story I read about the Lord and about Jesus, he is there to pour in abundance. He wants to bless people more than they can even ask or think. And Malachi, he says, bring in the tithes to my house and try me. And see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing so much that you can't contain it. That's the way he is. So what is he asking you to do with what he's given you? He wants to bless it. Listen to this story in Matthew 17 and verse 27. I'll give you a little bit of backstory first. Jesus is being questioned by some of the religious leaders who didn't really like him, and they ask him, should we pay taxes? And they know that if he says, it doesn't matter, we shouldn't, that the Roman officials and people that are around are, you know, they might even arrest him. And they know that if he says we should pay taxes, all of the people are not going to like him because nobody liked paying taxes to the Romans. And so Jesus answered them with wisdom, and he said, well, bring me a coin. And he says, whose inscription is on the coin? And they said, oh, it's Caesar's. He said, okay then, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and give to God what's God's. But then he finishes with this in verse 27. He says, however, we don't want to offend them, so go down to the lake and throw in a line. Open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. Wow. Who would like their taxes this year paid by a fish? Uh, Works for me. Hey, I have fished a lot in the river here in Slave Lake. I have never caught a fish with money in it. I'm just saying. Lots of other weird things, but never money. But God did a miracle of provision, and it was in an instant. Yet, do you see how in each of these miracles, he asked them to do something? He had to go, he had to cast in that line, and he had to step out in faith and do what was asked. And when he did that, the miracle was complete. All right, here's another miracle. Interesting, when I was preparing, reading through the miracles of Jesus, I was trying to find you some that weren't healing, just because we've talked a lot about that, and we'll continue. But it seemed like many of the ones that I found were about provision. Because again, God is our provider. Matthew 14, 16 is another one of those. Matthew 14, 16. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary, you feed them. So he is preaching in the wilderness. He has a large group of people. They've been there three days without food. And he's telling his disciples, you feed them. And they said, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. They answered, bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. 
They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. God provided a miracle once again with the little that they had. I think this is so key. God uses what you already have, whether it's little or not, because when God is in it, little becomes more than enough. You know, I don't know, maybe you're here today and you're needing some provision and you're wondering how or what. God will do miracles for you with what you have if you just do what he asked you to do with it. It's really that simple. Expect it. But if your attitude is, well, nothing good can happen for me because I don't have this and I don't have that and, you know, I came from this kind of family or, you know, my parents or people did this to me. Whoa! You can have all the excuses you want about why you can't succeed, why you can't go forward, and God is sitting there saying, what do you have? You might think it's nothing. It's all I need. He wants to take you further than you've ever been. And you'll start right where you're at. Now, why were the miracles happening and what was the result? We see from Scripture that miracles drew people to follow Jesus. In John 2, verse 23, we read this. It says, Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. And signs are miracles. Many begin to believe because of miracles. When miracles happen today, people cannot doubt that God is real. There's something there that I didn't understand. He is real. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 6. It said, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Philip went to a community where they didn't believe in Jesus at all. And he went there and he just started praying and seeing people healed and miracles happening and everybody gathered and they were ready to hear about Jesus. Miracles will do that. Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Jesus healed through his followers. His power was flowing through those who followed him, and he was already ascended to the heavens. And these people began, it says, multitudes of both men and women believed and followed Christ. The Holy Spirit wants to work through you and I just the same. Did you know you can talk to a coworker forever about what you believe and what God is, and oh, he's real, and I know, but if you show them proof of his power because you pray and God answers, they'll believe. You can give them all the smart things you want. It'll do nothing. Show me. Well, God is in the business of showing me. He always has been. And he wants to show you that he loves you and that he 
can do anything. Now, interestingly, many followed Jesus because of these miracles, but not everyone was happy about them. Not everyone was okay with people following Jesus and people getting healed and delivered. It always surprises me. I was like, how could they not be happy with it? But there were some religious leaders who were really upset about it. They couldn't rejoice when they heard of a healing. They couldn't get excited when they heard about a man raised from the dead. As a matter of fact, every time they heard more miracles, every time they heard about more people following Jesus, they actually became angrier. And I think about that. Why? Why could, would somebody not be able to rejoice about a salvation? And you know, I've read the scriptures and prayed about it, and I realized that the religious leaders had a big problem. You see, they were focused on themselves, their position, and the way it was. Now, in all fairness, you need to know that they had actually been given direction from God how to do things in a past season. The problem was they did not realize it was a new season and God was doing a new thing. So rather than step into the new thing, they decided they would be angry and try to destroy anybody who did it different. And they couldn't even get excited about a healing, a salvation, a deliverance. They could only become angry. Hey, this is a great way for you and I, if you're a believer already, if you're having trouble rejoicing when people get saved or get healed or delivered, you need to check your heart and see why. Because, you know, sometimes we've heard God say, do it like this and like this, and now he's doing it differently. If he said it for that season, it was 100% right, but are you hearing for today's season? Are you going to make a difference? I remember a pastor telling me this story. If I said his name, you'd know who he is, but he told us this story. He said a number of years ago, he was preaching in his church, and he was a very... Uh, smart man. He had his doctorate in theology. He'd been taught how to do church and the way you do it and how it works and just a really great man and he loved the Lord. But he'd been doing ministry for quite a while and let's be honest, there was nobody getting saved and there was nothing really happening but he was doing it exactly how it was done in the past. Well, a little church moved not too far from where they were and Within a couple weeks, the pastor of this other little church came and said, can we borrow your baptism tank? We don't have one, and we had some people get saved. He was like, yeah, sure, sure, you can take my baptism tank. Wouldn't you know it, two weeks later, the pastor's again calling, hey, can we borrow your baptism tank again? We got some more people saved. And he was like, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, you can borrow it. Well, the third time, a number of couple of weeks again, the pastor's back wanting to borrow it a third time, and this time... The pastor friend, he was telling me his story. He was like, what? And a little bit of pride and stuck in the past began to surface. And he was like, they must be doing something wrong. Because I know how it's supposed to be done. And we don't have that happening. And instead of being able to rejoice because somebody was doing it and getting results differently, he began to feel angry and find out ways and reasons and start thinking why they must be doing it wrong. Now, luckily for him, he didn't stay in that attitude long. And he realized whether or not he had a doctorate, whether or not he had learned from great men, 
Whether or not he had done it a certain way and seen results in the past, he wasn't seeing results now, and they were. And he humbled himself and said, I think I need to find out what they're doing because I also want to see people saved and set free. Never allow that religious spirit to say, nobody can do it different. Church, did you know God can lead you differently than the person sitting next to you, and that's okay? You can both be led by him and do things different. As church people, sometimes we think if God leads you different than he does me, you must be sinning and I'm not. Hey, he can lead you different. He can lead you different. He doesn't have to lead you the same as the person beside you, but you should rejoice when he's having results for the person beside you. Okay? Don't get in the little gossip, I got to find problems because they're having more success than me. Rejoice. Rejoice with them. Now, I probably talked about that too long, but let me continue. I got one more thing I want to mention about miracles. Miracles are done by the Holy Spirit, but also the devil's kingdom can do miracles. They're false gods and false spirits that perform some miracles, but they are limited. They're not as powerful as anything God can do, and their purpose is to deceive and ultimately destroy people. Okay, so a very different purpose than the miracles of God. Now, let me give you an example. Actually, I'm just going to continue from the first story I read to you about Moses when he threw down his staff and it became a snake. Well, actually, it was Aaron that threw down the staff, Moses and Aaron together, and it became a serpent. Well, listen to what happened right after that in verse 11. Exodus 7, verse 11. Then Pharaoh called his own wise men and sorcerers, and these Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. So all of their staffs turned into snakes too. They threw down their staffs, which also became serpents. But then Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. In other words, Aaron's staff that was a snake swallowed up all the rest. The power of God is far greater but they did have some supernatural power, but it was for the wrong reason. It was to keep people in bondage, wasn't it? Now, I also have some good news. If anybody's wondering, uh, we are not going to do anything with snakes here, okay, just in case you're getting worried. But that was something that happened there. But so there is some limited power that the enemy has to do miracles, but they're meant to deceive or trick people or cause them to go in a false direction. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 actually speaks to this a little bit. And 2 Thessalonians 2 8 is talking really about the end times, like the very close to the final end of time. And in verse 8 it says, Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Verse 9, This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So yes, let's be honest, the enemy can do some form of supernatural miracle, but it's for the wrong purpose and it's limited. And God's power is much greater, okay? So know that. And the reason I brought that out is because even as we talk about miracles and gifts, we don't follow or chase after miracles and gifts. 
okay? That's a good recipe to kind of get off track. If you're, you know, you hear online somebody's having these crazy things happen and you decide you got to follow them around and you can get led astray. But don't follow miracles, follow Jesus. And when you and I follow him and do what he's asking us to do, miracles should follow us. Okay, so that's the difference. Don't chase miracles, let miracles follow you. And how does that happen? You listen to what God says and you pray for people who need prayer. It's that easy. It's that simple. You don't need a band. You don't need a whole bunch of people. You simply need faith and the love in your heart to say, I want that person to experience this. And you have the boldness to say, can I pray for you? When you have that boldness, then you pray and you'll see God do amazing things. All right. We're getting close to wrapping up. Now, just in case you're wondering when I say they should follow you, where do I get that from? Mark 16 and verse 17. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Those signs will follow you. Okay? So that's just my caution about miracles and my encouragement to you. You don't have to chase others or chase down other things. God wants to do it through you. Okay? So be bold. When you have someone you know who needs prayer, pray. Use what you have. Like, wow, I don't know if I can pray like Pastor did. Don't pray like Pastor did. Pray how you feel it in your heart at the moment. And let God answer it. And that friend or that person will be blessed. Trust me, Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. You just start. Okay? You just start. Too many people are afraid to start. Your friend is in trouble. There's things going on. Say, hey, can I pray for you? And if you're like, well, what do I do to start? Just start with, Lord Jesus. After that, there'll be words. To be filled with the Holy Spirit and allow His gifts to work through us, we first need to be saved or accepting Christ into our life. Uh, Hebrews 2, 3, and 4, this is my last scripture and I'm going to be wrapping up. It says, so what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus Himself and then delivered to us by those who heard Him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. God confirms his word with signs following. That's the kind of God he is. And he says here, we can't ignore this salvation when we see how he presented it. And even today, we see how he presents, how he heals, how he does what he chooses. The message of salvation is simple. It's the fact that Jesus came and hung on a cross in our place. He paid the ultimate price for sin and wrongdoing so that we could be once again connected with the Heavenly Father in right relationship. He did it. And then he said we can receive the gift and what he paid really simply. In Romans 10 verse 9 it says, If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we'll be saved. It almost seems too simple, but it's that simple. 
We simply have to say it, Lord, forgive me, Lord, come in. So we do that. We make an opportunity here right in our service. And I'm going to pray a little prayer. If you've never asked Christ to come into your life and save you, you can do that with me today. And if you believe this and you say it, you will be saved. That means you're forgiven and a new life begins with Christ. So just repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I ask you now, forgive me of all my mistakes. Make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use my life. Amen. So if you prayed that today and you meant that in your heart, you can be sure you are saved and you have also asked him to begin to work in your life so you can also know that will happen. With whatever you have, begin 